This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic, who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Awesome. Hi there, I'm Connor and I'm an alcoholic. And the preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Connor. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This programme has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So welcome to the show, Connor. Uh, Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? How old are you? Hey, I'm Connor. I'm 28 years old. Awesome. Welcome. And um, how long have you been sober? It's definitely over two and a half years now. Wonderful. Wonderful. And um, tell us a little bit about what you do outside outside of AA. Do you work or? So at the moment I'm working and I'm studying. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And um, are you from Christchurch? No, I actually find it hard to say where I'm from. I was born in Timaru, but I never lived there. Me Grew too. Up in tw- oh, there we go. <laughs> Timaru besties. And um, uh, grew up in Twizel, but I went to like 12 schools and moved all over the show. Wow. So home is a ephemeral That's- concept to me. That's 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 a lot. And so your family are they here? Are they around? My mother and her partner, her husband, live in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. My aunties, some cousins. Yeah. And siblings? Have you got any siblings? I do. I have a darling sister and brother. My sister's in Aussie. My brother's in Twizel. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's let's delve in and um, you know talk about when. Did you start drinking? Oh my gosh! The first time I started drinking it was at a party in Twizel, um, and it wasn't planned. Just went out. I finally got invited to one of those elusive um, <laughs> house parties from like the older students, and someone gave me like one of those vodka cruises and RTD. And I just remember like after like swilling it down, and it, I didn't like the taste, but I remember it made the way it made me feel. It was mm-hmm. like I had arrived as exactly how others describe it. Mm. It's like, yes. Wow. And, um, you know, as a, as a young teenager, how did it progress through your teens and into early adulthood? So I think after that first experience, which did end with me, like, sobbing in tears and <laughs> couldn't even keep down water the next day, I mean, I took it to the next level. I think I didn't quite start drinking straight again. I think it took maybe a year or so, and then I was at another school and made some friends and we had a few drinks again. And again, I just took it to the next level. Everyone was happy to just sip and it was cute, whereas I just took it there. I was crying. Someone had to slap me across the face because I knocked a pitcher off the wall or something disgraceful. It was already burgeoning alcoholism. Yeah. And um, and so the times in between the drinking, describe, you know, your mental state to us and, and your emotional state. Well, when I was younger, I mean, like, I didn't understand the shaky ground I was on. And it's not just with the drinking, but the stuff underneath it. Mm-hmm. I thought I was operating like, you know, a well-adjusted person. But I did not have any clues to how broken or, like, how the pieces of me were kind of slowly separating and drifting from each other mm. and the drinking was sort of like my next um you know checkpoint when mm. can i drink again when can i feel this way again mm. and so it was an escape oh absolutely and um 
you know, were you a social? You know, were you drinking socially with other people, or did you did you drink alone? At the start, it was social, and that's only because that was the only way I could get it. When I was younger, mm. I wasn't too much of an envelope pusher that way. I wasn't stealing or trying to get people to buy it for me, so I had to be through my friends mm. to start with. And did that progress as you got older? Mm-hmm. Yes, my um, my parents would always have some booze on hand if you. A fridge full of bourbons and, you know, whatnot. And it was a bit easy to start taking one here and there, start taking mm-hmm. some dope and all that, you know, just all the things that were available to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And describe for us, um, you know, as it progressed, were there any consequences? Did you ever get in trouble with the law? Um, that definitely did happen. It did. It was... Usually wasn't because I was breaking the law, but it was because I was making such a scene. Sure. Um, certainly at school, mm-hmm. I'd come in wasted, and I thought I was just camouflaging in with the rest of them. But no, like I was dancing around, making a fool. Thought it was a party in the classroom. Mm. Um, but I managed to talk my way out of getting trouble there. So mm. I always convinced them not to tell my parents. <laughs> Um, in regards to the police in there, I know I ended up in the cells a few times. And I think the first time was because I was trying to steal wine from Pack and Save. Mm. And I thought I was being real slick again. Mm. Didn't mm. realise how out of tune I was with the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and um, your relationships with friends and family? Um, fake. Mm. You know, I think I sort of disconnected. There wasn't any love from my end at a certain point. I had no idea that that's not how it was meant to be. Mm. So at a certain point, I was kind of numb. Um, if they weren't immediately around me, family members, I disconnected from them. Mm-hmm. Um, parents and that, you know, was like I always needed help. So it was that one-way relationship where I always needed help from them or I needed more booze or other stuff. Like, mm. What can conf- I get? Yeah, what can I get? From you. And the same with friends too. Yeah. And so, you know, as it progressed... What what was it that we describe in AA, and you can describe for us, um, was your rock bottom? So um, it was sort of a long rock bottom, um, but the catalyst for that was I finally got a really, really good job. Actually, a step before that was I was in Wellington, and... I ended up, and this is a bit of a side from AA, but I ended up doing intravenous drugs. So mm-hmm. I escalated it to something incredibly dangerous in mm. the moment. I mean, and that to me was a bit of a, just a little bit of a red flag that maybe my behavior wasn't mm. lining up with how I thought life would be and how I thought I would be. So anyway, I try to clean myself up. I come back to Christchurch um, and I managed to get off that, but I'm still drinking because, mm. you know, that's not necessarily going to kill me. It's all good. And I finally get a really good job. I talked my way into this administration job, and I had no administration experience. So it was like just one of those silver tongue, like amazing opportunities, huge increase in pay to what I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, felt cool, like, you know, sort of elevated my status a bit. I was going into that place drunk as with mm. a bag full of cigarette butts because I couldn't afford my mm. cigarettes, you know, um, doing. The, the the red flags were being raised to them. They were raising their eyebrows and all like, what's going on? Connor, you said you could do A, B and C and you're giving us X, Y and Z. <laughs> 
And, and did any of those red flags you've talked about a couple of times, and you've obviously done taken some action, you know, around the drugs, but did you ever try and seek help or think, I should stop? Mm-hmm. So what happened was I ended up losing that job, and they said if you'd come to us, you know, we may have considered sending you to treatment, and I didn't even consider honesty. Mm. I didn't know what normal well-adjusted behaviour looked like until I was at that job. So that was one thing as well. And those two things, seeing people function well without drugs and alcohol and knowing that I'd lost my ability to be honest mm. made me think I need help. And I lost a really good opportunity too. Um, so, yeah, that's when I called, I can't remember what it is, that Christchurch mm-hmm. Central Service, mm-hmm. actually, I think mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, how how did that make you feel, reaching out for help? Well, I th- cynical. You know, I didn't know what kind of help there was. I thought, oh, they'll give me like five free counselling sessions and I'll have to figure it out on my own. Okay. Yeah. And so what happened from there? So to start with, because at this point I was more, I probably emphasised the drug taking. So they got me into detox. And once I got through detox, I kept drinking mm-hmm. um, because I, again, I just thought that would be fine. But then that really amped up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't a smashing success, but I did get introduced to AA okay. through Fort House. And so what was it like to go to your first AA meeting? Um, it was difficult because my social skills had been scrubbed, effectively right. scrubbed off, and I didn't know how to relate to that again I wasn't convinced that drinking was an issue sure and um, I didn't understand like I was just didn't understand how much of a wall I was putting up so I thought people didn't like me mm-hmm. and I thought there was nothing I could do about that mm-hmm. and I was just kind of smeared with this bad vibe and it was never going to overcome it so what was it that you you know that helped you break through and actually become a part of the fellowship, and you've got two, you know, nearly or over two and a half years sobriety mm. now. Um, so after that, while I was still drinking, I think it was just a f- few more flops in my life, and I eventually went back to rehab and realised the drinking had to go too. Mm. And I also I had a one go at that, realised I wasn't doing all the, everything that was suggested. Um, so that was probably where the change came through. It was like, I call it having to get hope before the hope. So I had to realise that when they say wait for the miracle to happen, they're not lying. Um, and that I just have to cling on to this, um, they have to cling on to this thing, to AA. That's sort of like the change was realising I'm not going to probably feel good for a very long time. I can't mm. expect that. But I can just expect that I can stay sober if I do what's suggested. So a yeah. little bit of acceptance there. I, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, um, and so I guess talk us through the last two and a half years. Mm. What are some of the things you've done to ensure your sobriety or to help you oh, cope yeah. with difficulty? Well, I'm... It's like what you're saying, like how did I break down those walls in there? Um, it took some time 
and that's one of the things that I did is I did the and I don't think it's it's not in the big book or anything but it was just something someone suggested was a 90 and 90 mm-hmm. um, so 90 meetings in 90, 90 days, days yeah. yep I told myself before I left the rehab the last time I was in rehab I need to get a sponsor before I leave mm-hmm. which I did mm-hmm. and they were amazing and they just gave me a really good insight into the structure of the program and I got that while I was still in rehab so while I still was kind of being held um, but once I left rehab I knew I had to hit the floor running mm. so that's, it was that foundation work while I had mm-hmm. no hope to go mm-hmm. on I really had to just push myself through, and that's for me was the key um, to that first year. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and we talk about service, yes. and so uh, you know, so helping others, yes, doing things to to get to get out of yourself. How important was that for you? Oh, that was definitely um, important. So I did the coffee and tea gig. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kept me going to meetings, of course. So if, obviously, you don't want to, you want the pressure. It's a hard thing. You want the pressure, but you don't want to feel like you're a flop if you don't go or miss one or whatever. So you've got to keep coming back and accept the the missteps with the successes. But um, mm-hmm. the service was really good because it just got me um, integrated into the group. Mm. People knew that I was taking it a bit more seriously because a lot of people come and don't stay. Mm. And I think there's that barrier that you, as a newcomer, have to unfortunately probably get through a buzz. Yeah. It is what it is. Now, we talk about an AA, you know, that it's not a religious program, but it's mm. a spiritual program. What does that mean to you? And how has that developed over the last two and a half years? Um, that, I always was open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, I think learning the step free was probably the biggest thing for me so I got that acceptance um, but the ability to actually hand it over and like understanding what that meant mm-hmm. not just as words in my head or as a physical like handover sort of thing but like how do I do that emotionally mm. and spiritually and that's taken that's still a work in progress really mm. but I'm better at it now mm-hmm yeah, and and with the help of a sponsor. Yeah, and then also there's the you know the ten and the eleventh, but then the twelfth step, and any aspect of life too, like learning to let go of my issues if where possible, the handover, and help others has been really cool as well. It's a good good mm. thing to be able to do. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So how would you describe your life today? It's fabulous. I mean, it doesn't. I don't base gauge it on how much happiness I have in any given day. I don't think that that's a gift and that's a blessing of life and recovery if I have a happy, good day. But I don't use that as the measuring stick as such. But I have so many little successes, so I'm working now. I've went from a, can I swear on this? Mm -hmm. Should I start a job when I'm beginning of recovery to a job now where, you know, I, I had to work to get that and I enjoy it. And um, there's, you know, I have a little bit of self-esteem in doing it. Mm. And I'm studying now too. And I can actually balance those two things, which is huge. I couldn't do either of them on their own Mm. in addiction. I I, I couldn't. (laughs) And I'm driving now too. And I thought I'd never drive. Mm. Because I was always worried I was going to run someone over. 
<laughs> and and um, yeah, you, you briefly touched on your self-esteem mm. and your confidence. Yeah, that's um, hugely grown now. And I, you know, I was, when I talk about how I felt like I had a bad vibe and stuff like that's gone now. And I know how to approach people. I feel like it's it, things become a little bit easier. The things that I wanted to be a bit easier, connecting with people, um, engaging in situations, just being a part of life mm. seems to be a little bit easier. Mm. Even when it's harder, mm. even when life is a bit hard, it's still easier for me to accept and be a part of. Whereas back in the day, I I couldn't. I was out. And, and your relationship with your friends and family? So much better. I'm reconnecting with my dad and my mum. And I couldn't be around them when I was in addiction. And even in the first year, that was really hard. But it's sort of like a really delicate garden that you have to tend to. But it's so amazing to see those things kind of like take seed and just really see that progress. So yeah, I've got a good relationship with them. And I've made friends in the fellowship, Mm. friends outside the fellowship. It's... Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> All the gifts, All that, the gifts that we never think are possible. Yeah. So, Connor, what would you recommend to someone or that they could ask themselves if if they think they might have a problem with drinking? Oh, can I go a day comfortably without drinking? I think that'd be the first question. Can I just put it down? Mm. Not think about it. Um. And is there something more in life that I want? Mm. Is there something in life that I seem to have lost? Mm. And I'm trying to find. And, and, um, and, you know, you mentioned earlier on some of the things that you did. What are some of the things that people can do to reach out for help? Um, I mean, you can call that CCS number. That's a start. But in regards to AA, I think... It's just desperately swimming against the tide that's yourself. You know, mm. get going to meetings, forcing yourself to go to meetings. It's probably the way, getting a sponsor. Like you have, I had to force myself to do those mm. things. It did not come easy. Mm. And it's not, you can't judge people's outsides by your insides. So mm. just because people are, you know, bright and bubbly and they have all this sobriety time, they might not be the easiest to approach and that's okay they want to help mm. even if they're not <laughs> sprinting up to you and taking you by the hand so you have to get past that too mm-hmm. yeah. so give it a go yes really give it a go well Connor thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us thank you for having me so for our listeners if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so there's, it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, 
If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant grant me the the serenity serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.